Chapter 13. The Lack The wind merchant lay motionless on Foster's carpet, brass orb clutched to his chest. I'm sorry, Callie, he whispered. And then it dawned on him that there was no possible way he could have spoken the words in the space of a bullet's flight. A misfire. His eyes shot open, but he was not prepared for what they were to see. A small metal ball floated motionless halfway between Rass's nose and the gun, while a frozen plume of flame and smoke hung from the barrel of the pistol. The disdainful expression on Foster's face had stuck like a molded mask. Rass scurried backwards out of the path of the bullet and stood to his feet. His heart was pounding in his ears, and, and as the rush of adrenaline overcame his caution, he reflexively crouched, bracing himself for the two guards. Only an instant before leaping, he realized that something was wrong and caught himself. The guards had stopped mid-stride, their rifles mounted and pointed at the ground. The room sat completely still except for Rass's riotous heart, and as he began to walk, he struggled to hear his own footsteps for the stagnant quiet that had befallen the area. He turned his head to the window and saw that contrary to the testimony of his ears, the battle was still raging on outside. A sky pirate ship lined up its broadside with a Halifax and fired its salvo directly at the bridge of the flagship. Rass dove to the floor with his hands over his ears. A moment passed. Then another as Rass's chest tightened with a wave of panic over his complete lack of understanding. The room should have been a picture of carnage by now. He hauled himself back to his feet and peered through the window. Twenty cannonballs hung in the air a few dozen yards away. What an atmo, Rass said. He only belatedly recognized the voice was his own. The words sounded hollow as they rang in his head. He glanced around the room, devoid of any motion, still unable to wrap his head around it quite yet. Looking down at the brass orb in his hand, he asked, Did you do this? He fought the urge to shake it, thinking it might accidentally reverse the thing possibly keeping him safe. Some sort of time bomb? He was exiting the door when he noticed something familiar. Elias's grapple gun loaded up with cabling and charges to make it look more authentic in its display. Walking up to it, he pulled the old friend from the wall mount with a little bit of effort. What else? He asked himself as he surveyed the walls for things he might need to save Callie. Rasp burst into the hallway, looking like a museum thief. His father's grapple gun adorned his left arm. A leather satchel filled with gadgets, goggles, and old dueling pistols was slung across his chest, and an antique sword led the way in his right hand. He was worth a small fortune, but it was pointless if he couldn't find Callie and get off the Halifax. Retracing his steps as best he could remember, he passed by halted crew members on his way back to the brig. Two lefts, and then a right. He got turned around more than once, but time was on his side. He wondered how he was going to move Callie in a frozen state, but brushed the inconvenient thought aside. Upon his successful return to the brig, he saw Dixie sitting on the floor of her cell with arms wrapped around her legs. Just on the other side of the bars, a guard with a thick key ring dangling from his belt stood conversing with another man. Rass didn't dare touch either of them, but he used the tip of the long, thin sword to try to lift the keys. They were stuck firmly down the guard's belt. Interesting. He had been able to remove items from Foster's wall, but then again he'd personally picked them up. Was that the trick? If so, he'd probably need to avoid touching anybody. He decided to chance reawakening the guard and reached out carefully to grab the large key ring. This time it came free. Then he reached his arms through the bars and tossed the keys towards Dixie, but they froze in place after leaving his grasp. Satisfied with the result, he then pulled one of the antique dueling pistols from the leather satchel, and soon it hung alongside the keys. Rass had no clue if the gun would even fire, but if Dixie kept her head, she'd know better than to expend a single shot and waste the intimidation value of a loaded weapon. Advantage, Dixie. You're welcome, Rass said, leaving the brig. From there, Rass had no clue where to go next. He would occasionally catch updates via portholes on the growing number of cannonballs frozen in a radius around the Halifax. It began to concern him. He followed a corridor that forced him to snake around an obstacle course of men in lab coats before it led to a hallway filled with doors running along either side. 
Peeking through the windows, he saw large, burly men strapped down, looks of agony plastered on their faces as they received injections of some sort. Soldiers? Rass saw room after room of strapping young men, all somewhere in the process of being injected. Rass made it to the door at the end of the hallway and found what he was looking for. Callie! He threw himself into the door, but did little more than budget open and dig the grapple gun into his shoulder. By leaning his weight into the door, he forced it open far enough to be able to slide through into the laboratory. Based on the tearful expression on Callie's face, Foster had lied about stopping the testing. Surveying the room for a way to free her, he saw the two scientists standing behind their vast array of knobs and levers. He didn't even know if he could find the one to lift the glass dome, or if pressing a button would be too indirect in action to work on the frozen ship. Looking back at Callie, he couldn't handle her being in pain while he could finally do something about it. Enraged, he ran up to the dome and swung the sword with all its might at the glass. With a sharp snap, the blade left the hilt flying back over Rash's shoulder, just missing him. He looked back. The broken blade hung just above the floor a few feet behind him. As Rass stepped over to the blade, it clattered to the ground. All right, that makes no sense, Rass thought. Still, there was no time to consider the oddness. He had to see Callie. Up close, he noticed her eyes were no longer blue, but violet. He took note of it, ran back to the entrance to fish out a pair of old goggles from his newly acquired satchel, and strapped them on. A display winked, showing a green glow etched into lines all about the room. Knack visions. He was using Foster Helios' original pair of knack visions as safety goggles. Here goes nothing, Raz said, taking off into a dash toward the glass. He knew the collision would hurt, but he didn't realize how much until he crashed through the glass dome, creating a Raz-sized hole. Shards of glass flew everywhere, nicking and cutting him up. Pieces that flew over a foot away simply hung in midair. He slowly picked himself up from the glass on the floor, shaking a few pieces from his hair. He placed the knack visions atop his head and moved to start unstrapping Callie from the gurney. The sound of cracking and shattering glass was the first indicator that the spell was broken. Time appeared to finally catch back up. Chaos erupted. Rass threw himself over Callie to shield her from the collapsing dome, and her continued scream of anguish almost drowned out the rest of what was going on aboard the Halifax. The lab erupted in sparks, splinters, and flying debris as two cannonballs ripped through the room. The Halifax shook violently under the stress of hundreds of cannonballs as they finally found their mark. Rass undid the last strap and Callie collapsed into his arms, sobbing. Another cannonball careened through the room as warning klaxons blared. Rass could no longer hear the shouts of the scientists. Looking back, he noticed the control panel bore the brunt of the latest blast. The level above them groaned, ready to collapse upon them. He scooped up Callie and carried her out of the lab. It was every man for himself in the corridors, and nobody took much notice of the escaped test subjects. How did you get here? Callie asked, nuzzling into his shoulder. I really don't know. He shifted her slightly in his arms. Where are we going? Callie asked. As far away from here as we can, Rass said. Can you put my goggles down on my face for me? She slid them down and the structure of the ship fell into view, highlighting the framework of energy pulsing through the ship. He couldn't imagine how his grandfather got around seeing every breeze and power line without going mad. The energy patterns of the ship docked on the underside of the behemoth showed where Rast needed to go. The flow of people jostling and elbowing their way to safety made it apparent to Rast that the crew had never drilled for such an evacuation or hadn't taken training seriously. The Halifax jerked and Rass almost dropped Callie down a flight of stairs as an energy surge far below blew apart one of the engines. The explosion left the flagship limping at a slight angle. A scuffle at the base of the stairwell backed up foot traffic. From above the stairs, Rass could see a small white-haired figure launch herself onto the back of a guard. She viciously slammed the butt of a pistol into the top of the guard's head and disappeared from view as she rode the toppling man to the ground. At least she's making good use of it, Rass said. What? Who? Callie asked as if stirred from sleep. Dixie! Rass shouted. The jam cleared and Rass saw her once more. On your six! The white-haired girl popped up and whirled around as Rass approached her. She beamed as she shouted back a greeting. Rass! She spun and smashed the butt of her antique dueling pistol squarely into the jaw of another guard, dropping him. You got a plan? My novel's more violence than escaping, but I like having options, she said as she slung a duffel bag over her shoulder. 
Ras caught up with her and stepped on the back of one of the guards who was attempting to pick himself back up, eliciting a groan. We're heading to the docks. To the docks! Lovely plan. Is she okay? Dixie asked before stooping down to pick up the unused musket of the down guard and rejoining the flow of the crowd. I don't know yet, said Ras. The ship shuddered again, rolling slightly and forcing everyone to stand half on the floor and half on the wall to their right. It made for awkward progress as they shuffled down the last corridor to the docks. The wind howled beneath the Halifax as the mob spilled out into the hanging walkways leading to the dock ships. Sky pirate biplane fighters zipped by, taking pot shots at escape vessels. Ras blanched slightly when he saw the grated metal walkway with nothing but sky underneath it. The ship shuddered again, and several men in front of them fell screaming over the railing and disappeared beneath the clouds. The tilting flagship made Carrie and Callie a challenge. Ras scooted along the handrail and surveyed the dock ships until his eyes fell upon the brass fox. Dixie, that one! Ras shouted over the battle. The junker? Dixie asked, prompted an angry look from Ras. Got it. She scurried down the middle pathway toward the ship. She didn't have the keys, but Ras suspected she wouldn't need them. Callie looked around her and realized exactly where she was. She jerked and tightened her grip around Ras's neck, causing him to stumble and almost fall. Easy, easy, I gotcha, Ras said as he watched Dixie board the brass fox and run up to the helm. Although faltering, the Halifax still volleyed green beams, wreaking a swath of havoc on three pirate ships swarming around it. Veer, a deep and menacing voice shouted behind Ras. A small escape airship pulled up underneath the Halifax. Foster Helios III stood at the ship's railing beside the entourage of bodyguards, who were preparing to leap over to Ras. The girl, if you will. Ras attempted to hobble down the scaffolding, but couldn't move quickly without being able to use his hands freely. He looked around for another option. There was only one. Callie, he whispered, pulling her close. I'm sorry, but hold tight and don't let go. The bodyguards jumped from Foster's getaway ship onto the Halifax, just as Ras conquered every sane impulse in his body and leaned backward, falling over the railing and into the abyss. It took Ras a moment to spot the brass fox in a dive of its own, smoke billowing from its port engine. Extending his left arm, Ras fired a grapple shot at the ship. The cable whirred madly until the spike connected to the deck. Both parties continued to plummet toward the cloud layer until the brass fox began leveling off, causing Ras and Kelly to swing wildly into the clouds. Ras struggled to work the mechanism on the grapple gun to begin pulling them toward the free-falling fox. As they burst through the stormy clouds, Ras felt the sensation of a downpour of water soaking him through. Below them, a convergence whipped wildly about on the winds over the dark ground, which billowed in a constant state of motion. Callie, what's happening to the ground? She peeked one eye open, then both eyes shot wide. We're over an ocean. A what? Ras exclaimed. The cable pulled them closer and closer to the brass fox. A strike of lightning illuminated the skies, following by a deafening peal of concussive force that shook Ras to his core. Pull up! Ras shouted to the white-haired figure on the bridge. They continued to fall. The roar of the convergence grew, and Ras realized he was on a collision course with the sphere. He cursed himself for not having done something differently to alter his path, although he didn't know what he could have changed. Hang on. Ras squeezed Callie tight as the convergence screamed towards them. He knew he would be safe, but he hoped he wouldn't watch the girl he loved evaporate away in his arms, lost forever. Everything moved so quickly that Ras struggled to comprehend it all. Over the screams of the convergence, he heard the engines of his ship engage. He felt a tug on his arm, pull his center of gravity toward the ship, but the shift of momentum wasn't enough to swing away from the ball of energy. Ras braced himself for impact as the heated air fought to steal away his breath. Once he pierced the exterior of the convergence, the roar of the green fire dampened. He gripped Callie so tightly he feared he was hurting her. Green flame engulfed them. Swirling figures made of light danced around, but kept their distance. Within moments, he shot through the bottom of the sphere and was once again doused by the crying skies. Ras realized Callie was still clinging to him as their fall leveled off just above the spray of the ocean. He wiped away the wet, matted hair from his face and saw the Halifax burst through the cloud cover, its fiery engines struggling to keep it aloft. An updraft took the convergence, soaring to meet the flagship, but the sphere began to fluctuate and lose stability along the way. The brass fox pulled to a stop, and Ras found himself seesawing underneath the ship before retraction of the cable dragged him and Callie over to the side railing to the deck. Ras decided he had earned a moment just to collapse into a heap with Callie and rest. Dixie bounded down from the bridge. 
I don't want to interrupt anything, but that ship might come falling down on our heads any second now, so yeah, she said, glancing over her shoulder. Aching exhaustion settled into Rass's body as the adrenaline ebbed away, setting up caused him to feel every muscle in his body screaming at him. Rass stood, then helped Callie up. Pop. Pop. Pop, pop, pop. Dixie, Callie, and Rass walked over to the side railing, looking past the balloon, and saw the Halifax erupt in a series of small green explosions as it met with the convergence, ripping the ship apart. What's going on? Callie asked. They had knacks aboard, Rass said. Oh my, so they're... Overloading, Dixie said, being pulled into the convergence. Callie turned her head away. I can't watch that. The Halifax engines failed completely as the ship erupted into a furious inferno and continued hurtling towards the brass fox. Do we have a magnet in us or something? Rass protested. He pointed at Dixie. Get her into the quarters and make sure she's secure, he said, running up the stairs to the helm. Dixie had lodged her hair clip in the ignition to start the airship. There was no time for amusement or annoyance. He just jammed the throttle forward. The brass fox jerked into motion, bringing shouts from the quarters. The Halifax blotted out the sky above him, blocking what light fell through the clouds onto the small wind merchant vessel. Come on, come on! Rash shouted at his ship, slamming the wheel to starboard. The ship barreled toward the edge of the Halifax's shadow. He didn't let himself look back to see if he would make it, as there was little more he could do. A groan of metal and a sizzle of hot engines hitting water behind Rass finally piqued his curiosity. He turned to see the Halifax splashing down, creating a wave higher than the brass fox was flying. Rass yanked up on the wheel, giving the airship enough altitude that the wave merely clipped it. Still, the force pushed the brass fox forward and almost threw Rass against the wheel as the water roared over the railing and slammed against him. Soaked? Rass continued to pull his ship into a climb and circled back around the burning wreckage of the Collective's capital ship. Smoke belched from the hull as the fires lost their battle to the flooding waters, and the Halifax descended into a watery grave. Half an hour and fifty miles later, the Brass Fox was limping just underneath the clouds. Inside the upended captain's quarters, Rass sat stunned in the chair next to Callie, who was resting her head on the small table next to her destroyed typewriter. Dixie paced around the ripped-up mess of sheets, clothes, and cookware, her expression manic. I cannot believe the Sky Pirates took down the Halifax. It's the Halifax, Dixie said, continuing the pace. Well, say something. We'll get you another typewriter, Rass said, placing a light hand on Callie's shoulder. I'm sorry. Rass's head swarmed. Nothing made sense. What were they doing to me? Callie finally asked, still not looking up. To us. Like I told him, they were testing to see if you were next, Dixie said. Callie looked up and shook her head, then reeled before steadying herself. That doesn't make sense. They had Nax on board already. You saw what happened when the Convergence hit it. Well, they were testing for something, Rass said, leaning over to pick up the old leather satchel and carefully emptied the relics onto the table. Hold on, where did you get that? Dixie asked, walking up and snatching a small dueling pistol. She pulled its weathered and bloodied twin from the small of her back, then shot an accusatory finger at Rass. You, I knew it, she shouted. I don't know what I knew because it still doesn't add up, but I knew you had something to do with it. What are you talking about? Callie asked. One second I'm sitting in the brig, and the next thing I know, I'm strong-arming the guards with this, Dixie said, hefting one of the pistols. What gives? Rass reached into the satchel and offered Hal's brass orb to Callie. This thing, I think. You touched it, Callie cried. She snatched away the device and inserted her fingers to start the mechanism. The arrow began to scope out, then stuck. I wasn't the first, Rass said. Foster got to it before I did, and who knows who pulled it from our ship when they ransacked it. Dixie pointed at the orb. How does that explain what happened? It doesn't, Callie said. It's supposed to just be a compass that leads to one place, but nobody else was supposed to be able to work it but me. I think it's more than a compass, Rass said, then hesitated. I don't know how, but I'm starting to think it can stop time. Dixie gave a hard laugh. And you know that how? Rass sighed. Everything around me stopped, and I was the only one on the ship that could move. The pirates kept firing, though. 
Callie stared blankly, lost in thought. Dixie opened her mouth as if she had something to counter with, but her mouth shut and she gave a look of confusion. I'd call you a liar, but... She lifted the dueling pistol. Why would something like that happen? I thought stuff like that only happened in the wild, Ras said to Callie, then waved a hand in front of her eyes. Are you with us? She shook her head slightly, breaking the trance. Right. Hold on, did you say the wild? Dixie asked. Who knows anything about the wild? It's not like anyone's been there in a hundred years. We're trying to break that streak, Ras said, then turned to Callie. But how are we going to find the pass now with a busted compass? Who in the right mind would ever even want to go to the wild? Dixie asked. Our hometown's going to sink if we don't, Callie said. I'm going to assume there's a longer story attached to that, Dixie said. What's your hometown? Verdant, Ras said. I heard Bravo Company attacked it. Is it still flying? Dixie asked. When we left, they were just surrounding it, Ras said. So if you go to the wild and do whatever you need to, it'll be a blow to Bravo Company, right? They want Verdant, so yes, Ras said. Perfect. I particularly enjoy not giving Sky Pirates what they want. I'm in. Ras shook his head. Sorry, Dixie, you're not going with us. You saved my life twice now, so I'm a little in your debt, Dixie said. By personal obligation, I kind of have to, and if I'm being perfectly honest, now I kind of want to. Ras held up his hand. It's a moot point. We don't know how to get into the wild anymore. Callie stared blankly at the wall. What's wrong? Ras asked. Not getting anything further from Callie, he turned to Dixie. Would you give us a minute? Sure, Dixie said. But talk quietly. These walls are kind of thin and I'm a bit of a snoop. Just a heads up. She exited and Ras turned to Callie. Hal was telling me the truth, Callie said half to herself. What about? Me, she said. Ras, I'm a knack. We already know you're not. I'm not an energy knack. I'm... She clenched her jaw. I'm a time knack. What in Atmo is a time knack? Ras asked. According to Hal, there's an origin like energy in the wild, only it regulates time. He said it's like friction. If it's thick in the air, things can't move, she said, looking in Ras's eyes. The first knacks develop their sensitivity by living close to an origin, so instead of exploding when an energy knack gets too close to too much energy, a time knack stops time. Ras said, understanding. And they were blasting with something. No wonder they let me go, he thought. He ruffled his hair. But you're not from the wild. Nobody is. The elders couldn't have built themselves, Ras. Maybe somebody in my family way back when was from there, Callie said. So the headaches? Maybe it's because I'm a time knack. I don't know, Callie said, then wrinkled her nose. That still feels weird to finally say out loud. Ras gently picked up the brass orb from Callie's hand. So does this thing actually point toward time? Callie sheepishly looked at Rast and shook her head. I just made it point whatever direction I wanted it to point, which was whatever direction I saw time most concentrated. She smiled an apology. He made me promise not to tell anyone unless I had to. What, it's not like there's some super powerful leader of Atmos energy supply after someone like that, is there? Ras asked with half a grin. I don't know, is there? Oh, I didn't tell you about that. Yeah, Foster shot at me when he realized I didn't know how to use this thing. Ras said, inspecting the orb. Your overload stopped that bullet, so thanks for that. Really? Jerk, Callie said. But wait, how are you able to move? Ras had an idea exactly how a lack could avoid being affected by something coming from an origin, but preferred to skirt the issue. He turned the orb around in his hand. Maybe whoever holds this thing is immune to freezing? She furrowed her brow. That doesn't really make sense, but right now not a whole lot does. Wait. So that means you can still get us into the wild. Callie nodded, her tired grin spreading to Ras. I'm feeling excluded now, Dixie shouted from the deck. You two aren't being nearly loud enough. Huddle's over, Ras said. Dixie returned, rubbing her arms for warmth. I don't know if you know this, but clouds are cold. 
rested and brought the tattered map draped over the bed to the table. We'll have to check our coordinates against the stars tonight, but unless the battle moved, we should still be over New Crispin. You mean Crispin, right? Callie asked. Rast turned, looked at Callie, then solemnly shook his head. Oh, Callie said, slouching slightly. Wait, everyone was running to their ships. Maybe they got away. I hope so, Rast said. He turned his attention back to the map, tracing a finger east by northeast from Crispin. It looks like the only city between us and the wild is Solaria. We'll have to drop you off there, Dixie. Oh, you will now. Dixie defiantly planted her hands on her hips and raised an eyebrow. Solaria is on the opposite end of Atmo from Verdant. Did you fix that compass? It's a little worse for wear, but it'll work, said Callie, looking at Rass. Well, you're not dumping me off on Solaria. It sunk just after it launched. How old are those maps? Dixie asked. If you're heading that direction, any respectable Atmo city is going to add days to your trip. How much longer does Verdant have? Callie asked. Rass did the math. Three weeks, maybe? I'm sure Bravo Company has been circling Verdant just to use up as much energy as they can in the bowl. But Pop said Bravo Company uses Helios engines, Callie said. No pirate uses Helios engines, Dixie said. They'd have to continually raid the collective sources for it. Well, regardless, nobody is bringing extra energy into Verdant from outside the bowl. Three weeks, max. On top of that, we'll have to think about getting back to tell... Rast looked at Dixie, then Callie. So you don't have time to spare, Dixie said, smiling. You know, you two don't exactly have the best track record when I'm not around. Besides, who gets to say they've been to the wild and back? She paused. You are coming back, right? That's the plan, Ras said. It's settled then. You nice people wouldn't leave me to die alone on the surface of the hands of remnants or convergence, so I'll help you get to the wild and back. We'll call it even after that. Ras took a deep breath and slowly let it out. You need to know what you're signing up for. There are elders still in the wild. Dixie shrugged. So? There are sky pirates on this side, and now we've got the collective after us. Give me antique wind-up toys any day. I know how to handle myself. I'm a big girl. Let me pay my debt. Rast took a moment, letting the silence hang. Do you know your way around a Windstrider engine? Dixie beamed. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm no miracle worker. We'll need parts to repair the one that took the brunt of that pirate's cannonball. Hold on. When did we get hit? Rast asked. Someone took a pot shot at me when I launched. You don't think I expected you to go skydiving without a parachute off the Halifax, did you? I didn't really have a lot of time to think about it, Ras said. Well, we should be able to put along just fine under the clouds of one Windstrider, but I wouldn't bet on us sending races, Dixie said. Solari is old enough. Maybe we could find some Windstrider parts if it's not already picked clean by remnants. I still kind of want to meet one, Callie said. Girly, you don't want to run into a remnant, Dixie said. Why? Have you seen one? No, but you hear all those stories. Some say they're cannibals, others say their skin is green and sickly, almost falling off their bones. Can we focus on getting the engine fixed? Rast asked. We'll fly out to Solaria and at least see what our options are. He turned to Callie. Can you get us a heading while Dixie and I look at the engine? Aye, aye, Captain, Callie said. Rass escorted Dixie to the hold. The cannibal lodged in the Windstrider didn't give Rass high hopes as he collected a few broken engine parts from the floor. Wow, this was a classic, Dixie said, resting her hand on the Windstrider. If Solaria didn't fall too hard, it shouldn't be too difficult to find what we need. Dixie, can I be blunt? I usually don't ask, so go ahead, Dixie said. Don't you have something better to do? Rass asked. Better as in, what, a job, a family to be with? Rash shrugged. I just find it odd that you want to come with two strangers on a mission most would consider suicide. One, I like you guys, and I feel like being here makes it a little less suicide-y, Dixie said with a wink. Two, any opportunity I get to humiliate India Bravo, I'll take. Why? Dixie paused for a moment. Bravo Company doesn't just sink cities, Rass. They also do unspeakable things to freshly orphaned little girls. A silence hung in the air. I'm sorry. Don't be. You're not on their side, Dixie said. 
half of her usual smile returning. Remember, I don't ask if I could be blunt. She walked from the engine across the hold. At some point, you'll have to tell me how going into the wild fixes everything for you, but since you're going through all this trouble and a cursory observation doesn't leave me thinking you're too terribly insane, I'll assume this mission of yours is valid. She ogled the jet cycle, then threw her leg over it. I didn't take you for a jetter. The oversized machine made her look more childlike than usual. Um, not really. It came with a ship. Dixie looked down at the jet cycle, then scanned the hold. Not exactly a match set, are they? Rash shrugged. I could take this thing off your hands if you like. That way your lady won't get too envious, Dixie said, caressing the machine. Not interested, but thanks. Doesn't look like you're making much use of what you got. Maybe after this whole thing blows over, I'll take her out. I'm not just talking about the jet cycle, Rass, Dixie said. Me neither. Callie sat alone in the quarters, allowing herself a moment to battle her brewing headache. The room sat in shambles around her. In one of the messier corners, her beautiful paper lay strewn, marred by the boot prints of collective men. It felt childish to tell Rass about the paper, but it broke her heart. She hadn't had time to work on her book, and with the destruction of her beloved typewriter, several of the little round keys had been jarred loose. It looked like someone hadn't just knocked it over, but had actively hurled it across the room. She slowly stood and walked to the back corner of the room to collect the paper, seeing if she could salvage anything. The fact that they had destroyed something so rare and pure left her seething. They didn't care. And each time she found a piece that might have survived unscathed, she inevitably discovered a treadmark as though it were part of a thorough vendetta against her. Stooping over brought another wave of pain, forcing her to sit on the floor next to the pile. Sifting through the paper revealed a ripped open envelope. A letter peeked out, inviting her to read more than just the words, Dull's sensitivity to Nax. She stopped, eyeing the paper. A moment passed. She looked over her shoulder, then listened for any approaching footsteps. It sounded like Rass was still with Dixie down in the hold. Letting curiosity get the best of her, she slid the letter free. Her hungry eyes devoured each line as though she were in a speed-reading event and the judge might enter at any moment to disqualify her. She was almost finished when a new wave of pain washed over her, pulling her into the blackness. As night fell, the remaining collective forces mopped up the last of the Sky Pirates. Foster Helios III stared out the main window of a collective gunship. A dozen soldiers accompanied an approaching man in a white lab coat. The scientist spoke up. Sir, they're ready. Foster turned to address the soldiers standing behind him. Thank you, Dr. Lupava, he said, nodding to the doctor. He began to inspect the soldiers. Their pupils were black and hollow, giving them a hungry, disquieting look. What happened here is an example of the power of what we're after, Foster said, gesturing to the stormy sea below. The last vestiges of the Halifax manifested themselves as large air pockets bubbling to the surface. Imagine being able to stop your enemy in their tracks like that, he snapped his fingers. But we've taken measures to safeguard ourselves. With you. He continued to pace around the line of soldiers. You are all the first in a line of time-resistant soldiers. We weren't able to extract the essence of the girl, but even if we can't get into the wild, she will suffice. Your mission is to find Callista Torbion and bring her back to me as unharmed as possible. We already have what we need from her companion, and now you do, too. <laughs> 